Our second scripture reading this morning comes from also in the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 46 and continuing through verse 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy and according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O oh God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of Mary announcing her acceptance of being God's favored one. She learned that she would be the woman to carry the Messiah and would spend her life as the mother of Jesus, the son of God. She heard the words, do not be afraid, from the angel Gabriel. And after some discussion and reassurance from this angel, Mary realized that it was okay to be afraid and unsure of the future. But she also realized that God was there in the midst of her fear and uncertainty. This part of the birth narrative ends with Mary saying, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let your will be done. If this is where we ended the story of Mary and her acceptance of being the mother of Jesus, the image that we might carry with us as we finish reading this Annunciation story is of Mary as a pious, humble young girl, ready and willing to go and do whatever her God asks of her. But then we get to verse 39. The angel has left and Mary is on the move. I can't say that I blame her. If I was visited by an angel and received the message that Mary did, I don't think that I would be able to keep this news to myself. In this day and age, I would pick up my phone and immediately FaceTime my best friend of 34 years and say, you are not going to believe what has just happened. Unfortunately for Mary, this kind of FaceTime technology wasn't an option, and so she packed her bags and she went with haste to visit the only other person she knew who might be able to relate to what she is going through. She went and visited her relative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is married to a priest. In these days, rarely did someone marry another person that was outside of their Israel tribe, and so Elizabeth's male ancestors were also priests. Elizabeth is essentially a preacher's kid, and she married a preacher. 
And because of her upbringing and how Luke chooses to describe her, I would be willing to guess that if Mary was alive in this day and age, born a few centuries later, it's very possible that, that Elizabeth, not Mary, Elizabeth would have grown up and maybe decided to become a preacher or a nun or a pastor herself. So not only did Mary go and see someone who is also in the middle of a divine pregnancy, Mary was seeking counsel from someone that she knew was a religious leader, someone she knew was very close to God. After a journey of about 80 or 90 miles through the mountains, Mary travels many moonless nights, probably cold and weary. Finally, she arrives on Elizabeth's doorstep. I wonder if Mary was nervous. Sure, Elizabeth was pregnant and she never expected to be at her age, but at least Elizabeth was married. It would have been completely reasonable and acceptable in this culture for Elizabeth to slam the door in Mary's face and to leave her to journey back to Nazareth alone and ashamed. But Luke says that Elizabeth was righteous and blameless. She was a priest in her own way. When Mary arrives at her house, Elizabeth immediately welcomes her with open arms. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she offers a prophetic blessing over Mary in the first beatitude that is spoken in the Gospels. Blessed are you, Mary, and blessed is the child you are carrying. Elizabeth wasn't the only one filled with the Holy Spirit. The child that she was carrying was filled with the Spirit, too. Back in Luke 1, verse 15, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, is visited by an angel, and we all know how that story plays out. But Zechariah is told that before his son is even born, that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when Mary greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth's not yet born child leapt in her belly. When Mary greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth sees God in the face of Mary, and I'm sure that Mary sees God in the face of Elizabeth. These two women have a bond that no one else can understand or comprehend. What a relief it must have been for them to be able to let their guard down and to look at one another and to say out loud, is this real life or is this just fantasy? Have we totally lost touch with reality? This moment is too overwhelming and powerful and full of emotion for Mary to just come in and take a seat and start comparing notes with Elizabeth about their angelic interactions. Verse 46 is a song of praise, but more than that, it is a song of power. Mary's response to what is happening in this exact moment cannot be contained, and she pours her heart out. A pastor friend of mine recently said that music is what our hearts sound like out loud in the world. While we may not consider ourselves talented or gifted when it comes to music, I would guess that if we were to all share, we would each be able to name songs that are important to us. Songs that we find ourselves whistling or humming without even realizing it. Songs that have planted themselves so deep in our hearts that we can't forget them even if we tried. My mom has an older sister who walked away from church and organized religion as soon as she was free from living underneath my grandparents' roof. Growing up, going to church wasn't a choice, 
It was the way that it was. Sunday morning, get up, go to church. My aunt has always walked to the beat of her own drum, and so when it was left up to her to make her own decisions about faith and church, she decided that it wasn't for her. This was heartbreaking to my grandparents, but they also realized that they had done everything they could, and this was not something that they could control anymore. In 2011, my mom's side of the family gathered to celebrate the life of my great-grandma Rose, who lived 101 joy-filled years on this earth. Grandma Rose loved music, and her funeral service was filled with all of her favorite hymns. I, along with some of my cousins, were going to play and sing Amazing Grace together at her funeral. We all live all over the country, and so the first chance that we had to gather and to practice this hymn was in our hotel room late Friday night, which I'm sure our hotel neighbors really loved. My grandmother brought a piano keyboard, I was playing my violin, and two or three cousins were singing in a beautiful three-part harmony. Suddenly, my mom's sister enters into the room. She too played the violin when she was growing up, and she asked if she could borrow mine. And as she took the violin, and placed it under her chin and started to play, she closed her eyes. And from memory, she played an arrangement of amazing grace that she learned years and years before. She wasn't playing just from memory, she was playing from her heart. She hadn't stepped foot in a church in over 30 years. She hadn't opened a hymnal or sung a church song in decades, and yet her heart knew the song and it couldn't be contained. Music has a way of expressing things that we can't seem to put into words. Music transports us to places and times that our minds may not remember, but our hearts do. In this moment, Mary does more than just speak. She sings, she preaches. Mary was likely named after the sister of Moses, Miriam, in the book of Exodus. And in this book, Miriam leads the Israelite women in singing after they have safely crossed the Red Sea and are free from slavery and free from bondage. Mary sings her own song about the ways that God has rescued God's people from generation to generation. Mary would have known the story of Miriam. Maybe Mary's mother sang the song of Miriam when Mary was growing up to remind Mary of her namesake's courage and her devotion to worshiping God. Maybe Mary herself would hum this song of Miriam as she was going about her daily responsibilities. But in this moment, Mary is adding her own voice to the voices of generations of women and men who offer their praises to God for all of the work God has done. This song is known as the Magnificat, but it isn't just a song about what God has done for Mary. It is a song about what God has done for the whole nation and people of Israel. The verbiage that Mary uses here is important to pay attention to. At a first read-through, it might sound like Mary is proclaiming all of the things that God has done in the past. But in the Greek, the words God has is not in past tense, talking about the things that God has done and is finished doing. In the Greek, these words, God has, are in the errorist tense. When this tense is used, it sounds like past tense, but the meaning is different when we read the words. 
The reality is that the action that is being used is talking about an action that has started in the past but is still continuing on into the present. The action isn't finished yet. And so we could read these words from Mary and say, God has shown strength and God will continue to show strength. God has lifted up the lowly and God is still doing this. God was and is feeding the hungry with good things. God has made and will continue to keep the promises that God made to our ancestors. This song of power is a reminder for all who hear that God always keeps God's promises, even if there are years or even generations between the promise being made and the promise being fulfilled. God is always present, always working, always moving in the world. I know that there are probably many mixed opinions about the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Some of us adore it, and some of us will always skip it when it comes up on our Spotify playlists. But the question is worth asking, did Mary know? I think the answer is no and yes. I'm not quite sure that the Mary we read about in the Annunciation story two weeks ago knew what journey she was embarking on and where that journey would lead. Annunciation Mary probably didn't know that her baby boy would one day walk on water. She didn't know that her baby boy would give sight to a blind man. She didn't know that her baby boy would calm the storm with his hands. But Magnificat Mary, she knows. She knew that her baby boy would save our sons and daughters, that her baby boy that she will soon deliver would deliver her. She knew her baby boy would rule the nations. Magnificat Mary doesn't just know it, she is proclaiming it. Between the story of the Annunciation and the story of Magnific the Magnificat, Mary has transformed from peasant to prophet, from Mary, daughter of Nazareth, to Mary, mother of God. Mary's story helps us move from who we think we are to who God has called us to be. Mary's song of power reminds us that God has done great things throughout the generations and that God isn't done doing those things and that God is not finished with us yet either. Elizabeth greets Mary at her front door, at a literal threshold, but this is also a symbolic threshold because something new is about to begin for Mary and for the world. And as these two women greet each other, they inevitably held each other close. Maybe Elizabeth took Mary's face in her hands and she looked into her eyes. I wonder if they thought, there's something there that wasn't there before. It's the same face they've always seen and they've always known, but this time it is their hearts that recognize that God is present in the face of the person in front of them. This recognition of the divine sparks a transformation in Mary, and it can spark a transformation in us as well. We are called to be people who see God in each and every person. When we see the divine in the faces of people we interact with, we remember that from generation to generation, God is with us. When we see God in each other, we allow ourselves and our relationships to be transformed and to change the world. The way that we see the divine in each other impacts how we live and move in the world. 
And when we view each human being as a child of God, we have the potential to generate a world that is different than we could ever imagine. A world where Gabriel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. A world that is alive with the sound of music, the sound of people singing songs of praise, songs which are reminders that God hasn't given up on us and God never will. Songs that will plant themselves deep in our hearts and souls so that all of the generations that come after us will know them and will carry on the tune, humming them when they don't even realize it. As we enter into this last week of Advent, and as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us join our collective heart songs together and carry them out in the world, eager to see God in each other and to let God be seen in each of us, in each of the 525,600 minutes that this year holds. Amen.